What's up, everybody? This is Daniel Atondo. I'm the lead pastor at Eden Church, and we're so excited that you've joined us on the Eden Podcast. The next 30 minutes, we hope, will add value to your life, deepen your connections to others, but most importantly, we want to help you grow in your faith. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Don't be one of those preachers who prepares their sermons months in advance. (laughs) Some words of advice my dad gave me back in 2005. And I knew what he meant. He didn't want me to get so locked in on my plan that I would miss where God was going. And in the context of my life at the time, it made complete sense. That summer, I had just started a job working for a church. And I was considering a path toward full-time ministry and maybe even one day leading a church in Indiana. But in the context of that morning, I found it to be a bit funny. You see, I was up super early, and it was the day before Thanksgiving, and I had just started a paper for my college class that was due that day. (laughs) Procrastination at its finest. And I wasn't exactly a good student, but my grades did tell a different story. I was one of those students who, who could walk into class completely unprepared, and I realized that there was going to be an in-class writing assignment. And so I'd pull out my book, and I would start reading the material, quickly skimming through it, and I would still write an A paper. And it was in this level of procrastination that morning that my dad said, son, don't prepare so much. (laughs) With today's message, nearly 14 years later, I still find that message to be kind of funny. My life is completely different than where I thought I would be in 2005. You know, instead of leading a church in Indiana, I find myself working in tech in Silicon Valley. And I serve with my wife, Lindsay, here at Eden on a weekly basis. But I find the advice funny because it was also me that started prodding Pastor Daniel for the sermon topic for today almost four months ago. My dad was right. I admit it, he was right. He knew that I would want to be prepared well in advance. Because it turns out that when you actually care about the message that you're trying to present, it's a bit more challenging. And today's message is one that I hold close to my heart. Last week, Pastor Daniel kicked us off in the series, Here Here for Good, with a message we may not have wanted to hear, but that we needed to hear. He told us how we had all missed the mark. We had all fallen short, and we were in need of a Savior. But the gospel, or the good news, is that Jesus came and took on the punishment intended for us so that we could be made right with God. And today, we start to look at the question of why the good news makes a believer different. And by that, I don't mean weird, although I do proudly wear that title. By that I mean, what change does it bring in a believer's life? And to answer that question, we'll be looking at Romans chapter 5. Romans is the sixth book in the second section of the Bible called the New Testament. It's found after the four mini-biographies of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the book of Acts, which records the very beginnings of the early church. And so... When we look at this passage, um, 
we're going to start to answer the question of what makes a believer different. But before we get there, have you ever had a perfect morning? Maybe it's been a while. Or maybe never. (laughs) But imagine with me, if you will. You wake up and you're fully rested. The sun is hanging just over the horizon and the, the colors paint the start of a beautiful new day. You're at peace. And you take a deep breath in and you breathe in the freshness of nature intertwining with all your favorite smells that fill your home. And the coolness of the air and the warmth of your skin, or warmth of the sun, the coolness of the air and the warmth of the sun intertwine on your skin. Everything is bright. Everything is perfect. And you're carefree. This is the moment that Paul starts out in the life of a believer in Romans chapter 5. Verses 1 through 2 say, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. It's a new day. It's a fresh start. And where we were once in opposition to God and apart from God, we now live in peace with God. But there was a cost to that peace. There was a debt that had to be paid. We had accrued and we couldn't pay it. But the good news is that Jesus came and took on that debt. And it wasn't something that he just carried with him. He paid it off. He cleared it. It doesn't exist. And this process of being made right with God is what Bible scholars call justification. Dave Ramsey wrote a book called The Total Money Makeover. And its focus is living debt-free and getting out of your debt. And in order to celebrate this transition from living in debt to being free from debt, He opens the phone lines on his radio show on Fridays and allows callers to call in and yell, I'm debt free! (laughs) And some will even travel to Tennessee to the studio where the radio show is recorded to have that opportunity. And you can hear the hope and the joy in their voice as they tell how they were once buried by credit card debt and student loans and now they're free to start planning for the future. They're just full of hope. And this hope is similar to the hope of a believer who places their faith in God. And we don't go around yelling, I'm debt free. But we do publicly declare our faith in God with baptism. And when you see these baptisms, it's full of joy. And it's infectious. I get excited seeing people make this transition in their lives. But to be honest, a person slowly and methodically working their way out of debt is not an accurate depiction of justification. It's more like the episode of the television show, The Office, where the manager, Michael Scott, 
realizes the crushing weight of the debt and the financial decisions that he's made to that point in his life. And believing that there's only one way out, he comes out into the main workspace and he says, I declare bankruptcy. He's quickly informed by an accountant that that's not how you declare financial bankruptcy. But when a believer places his faith in God, it's as if they're literally declaring bankruptcy. Pastor Daniel said last week that if we can't identify as a sinner, we won't recognize our need for a savior. We are bankrupt. We've accrued a debt that we can't pay back. But the hope found in Romans 5.2 is because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. As a recap, we were once in opposition to God. We were destined for separation from God. But Jesus took on our punishment so that by faith, we could receive the undeserved privilege of peace. And that peace gives us hope for the future. But as Paul continues in verses three and four, he throws believers a bit of a curveball. He says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials in life. For we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials in life. What? I mean, for me, when I read those words, all of the worst situations that I've ever went through in life, or that others have gone through in life, flood my mind. And I think, how? How can we rejoice at that? But the truth is that problems and trials in that passage can also be translated as challenges. And in challenges we face every day. Maybe it was a challenge for you to get up and come to church this morning. Maybe it was a challenge for you not to yell at the guy that cut you off on the expressway. Maybe it was a challenge for you to stop worrying about work and spend time with your family over the holiday this week. And yes, maybe it's a challenge for you to get up and keep pressing on with the emotional or physical pain that you're living with every day. But Paul says that as we do that, it builds our endurance. And that endurance builds our character. And that character builds our confident hope for the future. Maybe you've heard someone use the phrase, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. These are important stories to listen to. Because on the other end of that sentence, 
is a challenge that someone has faced and survived. And it usually will highlight a strength that they found out about themselves so that they would have never known outside of that circumstance. And we can rejoice with them. Not because of the challenge. We can rejoice with them not because of the cost that was paid to make it through that. We can rejoice that because by faith, through God, they made it. And the reality of the world on the other side of that story may be completely different than what they knew before. But they made it. So why does the good news make a believer different? The answer is hope. Hope. And I'm not just talking about any kind of hope. You see, I grew up in northern Indiana, a Chicago Cubs fan. <laughs> and I hear the laughter, and that's because the, the Chicago Cubs, the Major League Baseball team, had a 108-year drought between World Series championship wins. After the 1908 season to the 2016 season, generations of Cubs fans had the same experience. The year would begin with a clean slate and hope, and it would end in disappointment. Warriors fans, you felt that a bit this year, didn't you? <laughs> now take that experience and multiply it times 108. There were fans that lived and died only ever experiencing the disappointing end to each season. And I can tell you that even during Game 7 of the 2016 World Series against the Cleveland Indians, in the corner of Cubs fans' hearts was the feeling that this too could end in disappointment. And who could blame them? I mean, for 30 years, personally, I had been conditioned that when it came to the Cubs, hope would lead to disappointment. But in verse 5, Paul explicitly calls out that the hope of a believer is not this kind of hope. It's not the kind of hope that ends in a question mark. He says in verse 5, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. You know, the team that you follow game after game hoping that this will be the year, the startup that you've poured hours into, hoping it's going to be the next unicorn. The relationship that you've given every ounce of yourself to, hoping it's going to be the one. Every dollar that you've invested, hoping to one day rest in retirement. These things, these things are not necessarily bad, but they can lead to disappointment. But the hope of a believer is different. It's confident. You can be confident that you have peace with God. And you can be confident that when you run into problems and trials in life, 
that God will bring you through. Why? Why can we have this confidence? Paul continues in verse five, for we know how dearly God loves us. I don't want this truth to be lost. And I don't know where you stand in your relationship with God, but I can tell you exactly where God stands in his relationship with you. God dearly loves you. And in a moment, I'm going to have you repeat the phrase, God dearly loves me. And when I do that, I'm not asking for volume. I don't care. My hope for you is that you would hear these words. So do whatever you need to, to prepare yourself to listen as you uh, say the words with me. Close your eyes, take a deep breath, whatever you need to. But say them with me now. God dearly loves me. I can assure you that these words are not hollow. Those words are backed by action. Romans 5, 6 says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. We had missed the target. We were utterly helpless. But even so, Romans 5, 8 says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we are still sinners. When we didn't love him, he loved us. And if God loves us that much, if God loves us enough that while we were in opposition to him and separate from him, that he remembered us and came and died for us so that we could be made right with him and be in relationship with him. If he loves us that much, then what about when we face problems and trials? What about those moments when the challenge is so great that we feel utterly helpless? Don't be one of those preachers who prepares their sermon months in advance. Going back to that morning before Thanksgiving, my words, uh, my dad's words of advice set me on a tangent, sharing my hopes and dreams for the future. And the one-way conversation led us through the kitchen with this like half wood paneling, half textured wallpaper covering our plaster walls. And it led to my parents' bedroom. And my dad went in, and he sat down on the edge of his bed, and he was just trying to take in everything that I was spewing at him. And eventually, his eyes glazed a little bit. And he got distracted, and he, he rolled his shoulder. 
And I took that as my cue to go back to the computer room and, and start working on the paper that was still due. <laughs> and so I turned. And in that moment, the world changed. With a loud thud, I turned back and I saw my dad laying on the ground. And as soon as I started processing what was happening, I, I ran to the green corded telephone that was hanging from the kitchen wall and I dialed 911. And my mom jumped up from the other side of the bed and went to his side, just trying to get a response. And I was hoping. I was hoping. I was hoping to get some kind of instruction that maybe I could save his life. I was hoping that if I called them fast enough, they would get there and, and he would be okay. No instruction came. I couldn't do anything. And the, the silence on the other end of the line echoed my helplessness. And if you've ever been in a situation like this before, you know how slow time goes. In the clock, it, it ticks louder, it seems like, accenting every passing second. And minutes feel like hours before the paramedics arrive. When they did, they took him on the cold, snow-covered roads to the hospital. It was there that we learned what deep down we already knew to be true. He was gone. And those words of advice that I got would be the last words that I would ever hear him speak. And I was left with the challenge of figuring out life without my dad. And in the midst of this challenge, my mom and I were left with financial challenges from debt and hospital bills. And we almost lost our home. Because there were months that we couldn't afford to pay our mortgage. And in the midst of these financial challenges, I personally was dealing with mental challenges of panic attacks and anxiety and nightmares, reliving that experience over and over again, night after night. And I wouldn't wish any of that on my worst enemy. But through it all, I clung to my faith in God. I believed that God loved me and that he had more for me than this challenge. And eventually, I made it through. And don't get me wrong, I'm different. In both good ways and bad ways. But I do know that the strength that was built out of that experience gave me the faith to move with my wife to Silicon Valley. 
And we did so knowing that I would be without a full-time job for at least a year. And we did that without enough savings to survive a couple of months, let alone a full year. And we did so believing that if God was calling us to it, he would make a way. We believed that if God, then God. Regardless of the context in which you're hearing this today, the message I have for you is the same. You can have hope because God dearly loves you. If you've never placed your faith in God, you can have hope because God dearly loves you so much that he sent his son to take the punishment intended for you upon himself so that we could be made right with God so that we could have peace with God, so that we could have hope for the future. And many people have stood on platforms like this throughout time sharing this message. You can have hope because God dearly loves you. But it's only you that can make that decision to step into that faith. And I hope you make that today. And maybe you've already made that decision, but you're standing on the edge of a big decision, a new challenge that you believe God is calling you to. You can have hope because God dearly loves you. And as scary as that step of faith may seem, if God, then God. If God loved you that much, then God will still love you and will bring you through. And he will make a way. I pray for wisdom for you to navigate this new challenge. And I pray for courage to take that step of faith. But if you're hearing this today and you're facing some of the most difficult challenges you've ever faced in your life, I'm especially talking to you. You can have hope because God dearly loves you. And I know, I know it's hard to see that truth in the midst of the challenge that you're facing. Ren Collective in their song called Weep With Me says these words, what's true in the light is still true in the dark. You're good, you're kind, and you care for this heart. If you can't feel God's love right now in the midst of your challenge or circumstance, I ask you to remember the love that God has already shown to you. 
God loved you then, and he loves you now. What was true in the light when you felt it is still true in the dark, in the midst of the challenge when you can't. And I want you to know that this community is for you. After the service, we're going to have a prayer team in the back, and I would just ask that you would allow us to pray for you on our behalf, on your behalf. I would ask that you would allow this community to come alongside you in the midst of your circumstance to help in ways that we can. Because we want you to know that God dearly loves you. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, we, I know that you are good and you are kind. You are not a God that is far from us, but you stepped in on our behalf and stood in our place so that we could be at peace with you, that we could be made right with you. Help us to remember that love. Help us to have hope. And in doing so, God, I pray, I pray that you are recognized for the good and loving God that you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.